Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. As always, we are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our goal, our responsibility, our one hope every time we get on the air is that we would empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. That's what we got. That's what we're here to do. And that's what we try to do every time we're on the air. I know we've been on a little break. It's been busy, very, very busy, but we're grateful for uh, another opportunity to be on the air on this wonderful hot Wednesday, the last Wednesday in July. Man, this year is going by so fast. So, so, so fast. So anyway, well, that's what we're here to do. We're trying to impact the world around us. We want you to impact the world around you, and you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. As always, there are several ways you can go about doing that. If you'd like to get your thoughts, insights, uh, dialogue, commentary on the air, you simply call the number 347-237-5230. That's the number to call. The chat room is open. You can go to Blog Talk Radio slash Zero Today and get in on the chat room. And get your thoughts in on there also. Uh, go to our Facebook page, Pastor Neil Zero Network on Facebook, and you can uh, catch up with archive shows there. And also uh, share your thoughts on today's topic or any other topic that we, we've, thought, uh, we've done. And also, you can, you, if you like, you can suggest topics. I like that too. So you can do that. Follow us on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at Prophesy, the show. Twitter page is at Zero Radio, so uh, follow us there. We're trying to trying to get into this multitasking or tweeting while we're doing the show. I don't know <laughs> how well that's going to go, but we're going to try it anyway. Uh, implementing, uh, hopefully, we hope in the near future that we'll be able to get the streaming going. We've been working on that for some time and trying to find the right um, uh, system to do that format or whatever it is, and uh, so hopefully. We'll be able to. You'll be able to see us do the show 
live streaming as well as hear it uh, or via audio or via radio. So we're glad. To, anyway, we got a lot to talk about. Also, yeah, uh, uh, you can send me a personal email at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. That's PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Uh, so, um, and um, whatever I missed, I missed. But you know, hey, we're here. Uh, got a lot I want to try to cover in this broadcast. We're going to be an extended broadcast today because there's so much. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Pastor E. Dewey Smith and the controversial words, uh, mini clip that's gone viral with him. Talking about that. We're going to talk about um, uh, the main thing I really want to talk about is this, this Black Lives Matter um, and the idea of double consciousness. And we're really, you know, the the idea that black folk are still trying to find their place in America, <laughs> even after supposedly being in a post-racial America in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to be talking about that. Um, and this is really stimulating. I'm, I'm writing some things on that, and you'll be hearing more about that as I put it um, on my personal page. Oh, yeah, visit my page, LorenzoTNeal.com. Yeah, yeah, visit the page. We'll try to update that and keep it up. Anyway, so we got a lot to talk about, um, a couple of headlines, interesting things too, and I got a lot of time, so <laughs> I could take my time today uh, for once. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for allowing us to do this broadcast one more time. Now let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Let it be a blessing to those who are listening and empowering to all. In the name of the Christ, we pray. Amen. So, uh, I I, uh, I want to get into a couple of headlines, and I got like I said, I got a little more time, and um, uh, I'm I'm looking for, but um, I'm going to do some some other stuff. But um, uh, I want to start off, lead off with this story: uh, the city of Cincinnati has announced that it will have a press conference in uh in lieu of a grand jury decision that has not been released yet but uh they got the video of the shooting of uh Sam DeBose uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that story but uh, again it's another officer related shooting of a black person unarmed black person by the way uh uh, a campus police officer uh, has not been charged or indicted, but um, this campus police officer, uh, the prosec- uh shot and killed a uh, 43-year-old Sam DeBose during a routine traffic stop last weekend. Or yeah, last week, yeah, last weekend on the 19th, uh, near the campus of the University of Cincinnati or whatever it is. Um, uh, now, the the officer stopped uh, uh, Dubose around 6.30. Uh, and the reason was because he did not have a license plate on his vehicle or the front of the car. Which, whichever, I don't know how they do it. But he didn't have a license plate, uh, properly license plate. And uh, according to the officer, Dubose would not display his driver's license when asked and um that led to some type of interaction uh, uh a heightened interaction that um 
and the officer says that um he felt in that that the um the boss was uh going to run him over during the traffic stop and said that he was dragged by uh, the boss's car and he shot he shot him uh i've forgotten where um i think it says he shot him in the head uh, i'm trying to find his article but anyway um they are going to release uh the video off of uh the i'm not sure if it's dash cam video or body cam video but what they're saying is that the video is disturbing enough that if they're released, it will cause riots. And they are trying to prevent riots in the city of of Cincinnati. So the, the prosecutor is, is, is trying to uh, get ahead of the game, in so many words. This footage is released. They're going to release – they're going to do a press conference explaining the footage, uh, hoping to deter – any further violence. Now, and 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 this kind of rolls over to what I'm going to be talking about with this idea of double consciousness. What is unclear and what will be unclear because one person is dead is what really happened. You get an officer's account, and, and that's part of the problem with all of these recent uh, encounters with police authorities where a person – uh, have died in police custody. The only person left to tell the story is the arresting officer. And there have been several, including here uh, one in Mississippi just recently um, with a, a young man in uh, Stonewall, Mississippi. I think I said that right. Uh, just It's just outside. It's, it's in East Mississippi. Um, and you know, the officer pulled him over for driving. He was driving a buggy, a carriage, horse-drawn carriage, buggy. Pulled him over and somehow asphyxiated him to death. And that officer has not been charged. Matter of fact, that officer was placed on administrative leave with pay. And they they didn't even stay at the house. The officer, his wife, his family got out of town quick, and they have not returned as of yet. And the young man has been buried, you know, and the black people are calling out. You got to understand, this is a small rural town in Mississippi. And (laughs) it's bringing up those, those, those memories from the past. And so I'm hoping, I'm really, of course, again, with just recently with the death of Sandra Bland in Outside the Prairie View. Uh, Texas, while she was going to work for Prairie View AME University, he just funeralized her this past Saturday at DuPage AME Church in Chicago. Um, this idea is spreading, and it is rather unfortunate. But it's all—I'm not going to say it's been, you know, it's been uh, heightened and hyper, hyper. Uh, I'm not even sure what words to use. By the media, but um, but the reality is this may have been going on for for so, for so long of a time, 
And now the media is using this as a means of creating some type of uh, hysteria. It could be. Could man, could not be. But the reality is, is that it's happening, and the occurrence is more frequent than we care to admit. You know, so and that's that's a dangerous thing. But um, so so that's that's the news that's coming out. Um, you can follow the story, and I'm sure major news outlets. It should be, uh, if I'm correct, it should be going on right about now. So you'll probably be able to follow the story and uh, the press, the press conference um, that's being released. But I, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that they don't, the blacks don't react like they did in Ferguson and Baltimore. I really do. And I'm trying not to draw from what was, what happened after what, uh, um, the shooting in Charleston and how the blacks there, you know, the white folk made them seem so well behaved because they didn't riot. They, you know, they sang, came together and asked, you know, gave forgiveness and, and, South Carolinians put on a good show. However, you know, that's more than likely not going to happen. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, so that's that's one headline. We'll be following. We'll be keeping up, and uh, I'm hoping and praying that that it would be um, one that would not cause any more strife or unrest, civil unrest. Especially riots. We don't need that anymore. Uh, none. None at all. Um, so let me get to this. Uh, so that's the lead in I wanted to share with you just in case you were following that story. If you were not following the story, hopefully now you're aware. And we can be more uh, engaged and, tra- and um, engaged and informed. And hopefully, um, you know, it won't it won't result in, in craziness. But let me get to this uh, second Two other headlines I really want to get to. The first one, uh, I I don't know if you've been following this story or not, but there's a, a group of so-called Satanists in Detroit, and they have planned to put up a statue of Baphomet uh, in downtown Detroit, and it's been met with protests. Um, but but it's really interesting because a large group of the protesters, black clergy and black churches. Now that's that's wonderful and from my perspective. It's wonderful, you know, that black folk, even black preachers, are even trying to help people understand <laughs> what Baphomet is. And if you're not familiar with Baphomet, Baphomet, a goat, basically goat figure, goat goat headed figure, um, that is part of Masonic. Uh, imagery as well as satanic imagery imagery because of the pentagram the five pointed star uh that they say it uh you know exudes the image itself and has it has been uh it has been um, pretty much associated with uh say satan uh, I, uh, for for some time now, when I was a kid, you know, we used to have those chick, 
tracks. I don't know if y'all know <laughs> those little cartoon tracks that you pass out, and I was ignorantly passing out those tracks as as <laughs> as a means of evangelism, and I, I was just so ignorant because you know I didn't know, I didn't really know how bad they were, and don't use those tracks. I'm, I'm telling you why. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't use those tracks as outreach because they are very very bad, misinformed. Uh, <laughs> They're way off, but you know they were they were used for, and still probably some still being used as a means of evangelism. And one of those tracks talked about Baphomet, and and you could probably go and search, do a Google search, and you'll find that you know that Jack Trick Cheek, uh, how you name track about Baphomet and the evils thereof. Now I could get into symbolic imagery about that and I'm gonna talk a little bit about it later on because uh symbols yes they do point to something but they they uh as Paul Tillich espouses that um a, a symbol really um it uh it can be replaced. It can no it, it, it points to something greater than itself but um it also unlike the mentions of the elements of the soul a symbol um it has a lot of symbols uh, are, 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 are can be used in very very different ways, and I'm trying to gather my thoughts because uh, I, I didn't I didn't go plan to go on this tangent at this moment. But um, the I, the symbol of Baphomet as a statue, what they're saying is offensive to their Christian faith, and and as should be. But at at the same time, you know, you know because we live in the states and we live in a country that. Is allowed religious freedoms. <laughs> They're allowed to do it now. Now the controversy comes in is that um, I don't know if you watched the show Preachers of Detroit, but uh, there there was a little division between two of the pastors, a Bishop Ellis and uh, the younger pastor. I can't think of his name right now. But they got uh, the the controversy has been uh, in that Bishop Ellis has pretty much remained silent on the issue. Uh, he has neither uh, has not gone on record uh, detesting the act. Neither has he gone on rec- record uh, defending the act. He's just kind of, you know, just keeping his his nose clean. But um, I think Ballard is the name of the guy. I can't think of his name. But anyway, he's he's one of the one one of the preachers leading the charge, saying that it should not. Uh, they should not have the ability to be able to place that statue downtown. And where it was originally supposed to be placed, that once the uh, owner uh, realized the one who was going to uh, rent the space, once he realized what it was going to be, he denied the space. But the city apparently uh, uh, gave them the okay, so they'll be able to do it. Now, what does this all say about – I mean, it's going in Detroit, and Detroit still is a major uh, – Major religious city, you know, some big time preachers, uh, uh, ministries are in the Detroit area. You have Word of Faith with Bishop Kenneth but- uh, uh, Butler, Keith Butler. You have uh, Bishop Ellis. You have Marvin Sapp in that area. You have uh, Marvin Winans. You have um, many, many, many others I could go on that are in that area. And, um, it's interesting that blacks are uh, black church leaders are leading this cause. What does it mean for what does it mean for us? What does it mean for the church overall? Well, uh, 
it's an interesting dichotomy because we only really stand up and protest when it seems antagonistic against us. And that's part of the problem. You know, if we're really going to be if we're really going to be empowering people, then we need to be uh, engaging and proactive instead of reactive. And most of it is reactive. And I can understand the reaction because uh, I probably would not uh, I would not I would oppose if they decided to come here in Jackson, Mississippi, and put one in downtown. I probably would oppose it. You know, not not against uh, religious, not for religious reasons alone, but just the idea of what it conveys. The idea, and I'm a Mason, and um, you know, I understand the deeper parts of it, but I still think that uh, it should not be for public display. Maybe a private display. But not public display because again, you told me bring something like that to the south, you really gonna have issues. <laughs> you are really, uh, you gonna have more to protest. Now you talking about folk who 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 protesting because of a flag, <laughs> bring something like that up, it, it's gonna get even worse. I'm just saying, you know, I'm I'm really just saying, it is it, it is what it is. Now, now, um. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. I'd like to hear what you uh, think about that. Should they be protesting? Should it be allowed? Really? Is there really a big deal about this statue of Baphomet being placed downtown Detroit? Uh, why aren't there the churches? Uh, how many churches are? Or, or what? What is the greater church of Detroit doing about it? What does it say about the city of Detroit? Has it lost its soul? <laughs> Get it? Motown soul. Detroit. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, one more study, one more story, and then I'm going to take a break, and we'll come back and get into the two things that I really want to talk about, and that's Pastor Smith's commentary, uh, Pastor Smith's clip, and uh, the idea of double consciousness in the Black Lives Matter movement. So um, here's the story. That really upsets me uh, because we've talked about this before. We, you know, we 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 uh, we we've addressed the idea of churches getting giving out uh, letters of membership termination for non fiscal support, and I I have an issue with that. Um, so you know, when I heard about another church doing the exact same thing. I just I'm just perplexed. So here it is, not just weeks after, just weeks after uh, a church in Florida sent her sent a single mother a notice about being, you know, <laughs> behind on her support of the church. Now uh, another church in Brainbridge, Georgia, has taken it a step for, further. Um, the greater, I mean, the first African Baptist church. Pastored by Derek Mike, and the only reason I'm saying this name because uh, I, I got the clip, a picture, <laughs> thanks to Church Folk Revolution, uh, pimppreacher.com, their website posted the picture of the letter, the actual letter, and it includes his name and includes. So I'm just going, I'm just going from the information that I got. Uh, but this pastor and his church went. Further than the last pastor, the last pastor at least said, look, we expect every member to give at least $50 a month, you know, 
you'll be a good standing. But this pastor and his church got part of their bylaws or membership agreement or whatever it is, and it's crazy. <laughs> you go you go to go to penpreacher dot com and you'll see the letter, the actual letter. <laughs> and what's crazy is that they say this letter states that she is terminated. Her membership is terminated. She cannot participate in anything, any engagements, any activities, nothing, because she has not supported the church financially. And it says that you're, you know, you're a member in good standing if you attend at least ninety days, so forth and so on, and you support and give all, you know, to money, give money, give your time. And it, it even says and emotional support. I don't know what emotional support is for a church. <laughs> I, I don't even, I don't know if that means that you come to church and you shout, and if you don't shout, you're likely to be terminated as a member. I don't know. You know that that's open for serious, serious. Oh my goodness. So anyway, so they send this letter to this young lady saying that her membership is terminated because she did not support the church. Not because she was not in attendance according to the membership. And when you go to the site, you see the letter. You know, she was not, didn't say she wasn't in good and regular standing. Didn't say that she hadn't been attending the church for 90 days or more. Didn't say that. This is specifically because she wasn't giving. She wasn't tithing. She wasn't supporting the church financially. Now, as a pastor, for me, that is not grounds for member termination. That is not grounds for member termination by any cause. Uh, now, if you're, you know, I can understand if you're in a sorority. Well, even then, you know, uh, they don't spend your membership from a sorority for not paying your dues. Uh, you, you keep your letters. You forever a part of the sorority unless you choose to disavow it, or fraternity unless you choose to disavow it. Um, you know, support is support, and if you if you're really proud of an organization, you will support it if you can. But there are those who just can't. You know, sometimes you have fall on hard times, and you are not able to. You're unable to to give as you wish. Even as a pastor, there you know sometimes. There are weeks that I just can't give as much as I want. Sometimes I have to put $10 in the plate. <laughs> I know that's crazy, you know. Sometimes when we go to meetings and, and we, you know, pastors are required to give $100, and I have to say I can't give it and don't feel bad about it because I just can't, you know. It's nice if I could. But right now, you know, especially if I'm staying, you know, I got to travel. I got to stay at a hotel, and, you know. <laughs> Oh Lord! But anyway, um, I think it's very rude and narcissistic of this pastor because in the letter it, it states that the pastor sole authority to um, put her out, and that's the scary thing. The scary thing is that the pastor. Uh, Stands up front with this. Let me see here. Um, the pastor, Derek Mike. Let me pull it up real quick. 
um, says this is to certify. No, no, no. Here it is. Um, in conjunction, uh, the First African Baptist Church of Bainbridge, Georgia, in conjunction with Derek Mike, pastor, whom has been given full charge of all administrative, executive, and the pastoral decisions on behalf of First African Baptist Church, does implement the following actions: removal from active status or what is considered the, in the Missionary Baptist Church as suspension of active membership. Okay? He removed her from active status. The pastor did that. Now, let me tell you why I have a problem with this. As pastor in the AME Church, our book of discipline gives me authority just like this pastor. I got authority, administrative authority over everything in the church, every auxiliary, every board, everything that goes on in the church. I'm even over the choir, according to the book of discipline, <laughs> okay? And that is <laughs> that is an enormous amount of authority and power granted to me by my book of discipline. However, I understand that I am also limited and restricted in how I use that authority, Okay? Just because I'm over everything don't mean I'm the boss of everything. I, you know, that's why I have a leadership team. That's why we have boards. That's why we have all of this. I, you know, the means of carrying out the work of the church is a balanced one for me. And I know a lot of pastors don't see it that way, but it's a balanced one for me. And uh, even though I'm aware, I get, you know, I get my treasurer's report every week. I'm aware of who gives what, how much they get. I, I have access to all of that. Okay. I really do. Um, <laughs> now let me let me let me put this in perspective. You know, I I don't sit in the finance room and count the money. You know, I don't I don't I don't stand over and watch like a hawk to make sure that stuff is being done. No, I just get a report weekly. Okay, weekly I get a report and monthly at our uh, official board meeting, treasurer makes his report. The same report that I get is available to every member. Every single member now is not as itemized. Uh, let me put it this way: I get a little more itemized report sometimes. Okay, but I, you know, when I say I, uh, I don't know exactly what every member gives. I don't. I don't know that. My finance committee, they do. <laughs> I don't, but I do get a weekly report of where we are. You know, financially, and I'm able to, to do a spreadsheet and go through it and. Analyze where we were, you know, three years ago, two years ago, and I can forecast where we should be next year based on what I get. Okay, but that does not mean that I, because I see one member gave or did not give for uh, two months, that I send them a letter say, hey, "Look, you ain't giving, and you're at risk of losing your membership." That is facetious. Very much facetious, and for pastors who do such things or churches that practice such, uh, that lets them know that they're not about winning souls. Even though Jesus had Judas, who kept he was the treasurer, he kept the money, he kept the pocket, he kept the pocketbook. And nowhere in Scripture will you find where um, Jesus discounted those who were not able to contribute. Matter of fact. <laughs> In some ways, he did kind of shot, uh, shot those who were who were searched by saying that you know, 
you're really following me because of what I can do for you and not because you believe in me. And But there's a difference. There's a differentiation of that that thing. You know, he did feed 5,000 people according to one that, you know, some scriptures, you know, not including women and children. So, yeah, I follow him too, <laughs> especially if I know he could do something. But it's facetious of, of any pastor to think that they have the authority or the right for that matter, especially when you're there temporarily. Even if you're there 30 years, you're still there just temporarily. You know, you got folk who've been there longer than you. And I, I, I share this all the time, you know. Yeah, I, I I realized that the church existed before I got there and will exist after I'm gone. The only way the church will stop existing is if I do something at, while I'm there to cause it to be so. And so far in my, in my many years of pastoral, you know, 20 years of pastoral ministry, you know, I've left every church I pastored in better shape, you know, than I came. And I'm I'm glad that I can boast of that. The Lord be praised. But I, I think it's very, very rude of the pastor in the church. Anybody signing up, you see this letter, you see uh, the church secretary signed off on it. I'm, I'm wondering, did they have any kind of, you know, conflict? You know, bring this, you know, the good, the the, the right thing to do is bring the past, bring the member in. You know, if you're going to send out communication, send out communication saying, look, the pastor want to talk to you. Explain why, you know, you're the pastor. If you have that kind of authority, uh, you know, get with one of your leadership teams and, and call and see what's going on. Visit, see what's going on. You know, interact with your folks. Try to get to know. You know, if you have a pastoral team, a pastor, you know, I know some churches where they have pastoral teams and, you know, pastors are assigned. You know, <laughs> I, I I used to think it was crazy, but there are some churches, you know, they're large enough where they have, you know, a large pastoral staff and pastors are assigned to various areas. And one of those areas is pastoral care. And under the God, you know, under the pastoral care pastor, uh, minister, you know, that's where they find out who's sick, who's, you know, who has a family member to pass away or what member passed away. That's where they, you know, get all that kind of information. That's who goes out and does the visitation if the pastor is unable to do it themselves, you know. So, so you know, that's where that comes in. That kind of information should be, a, a, you know, afforded to the pastor before issuing out such Letters. But anyway, I digress. Let me, I've run over that time. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Go to the chat room um, and, and share. And got some nice information. You got some. Uh, oh, that's something else. Somebody in the bed. It's amazing how spam can get anywhere. But anyway. Uh, I'll take care of that later. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to get into the topic of uh, – uh, we're going to play a clip uh Pastor Smith and get your thoughts on that, and I'll share some commentary as, as well as try to get in this idea of black uh, double consciousness and the black uh, black conscious uh, – black lives matter. So we'll be back right after this.
do you need to make each month? That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen, who needs to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday, and with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six-figure income, and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business, bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit Incomeathome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. Zero today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. All right, welcome back. Welcome back to Zero today again. I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and um, I'm glad to be back. We uh, have an extended show again. Uh, this is a special broadcast. A uh, little, little longer than we usually do, but uh, we're we're trying to make up for some time that we we've been off, <laughs> basically. Uh, so. Uh, 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 before the break, I, I said we were going to talk about uh, two things that I really wanted to discuss. And the first one being uh, the the uh, sermon soundbite that's gone viral by Dr. E. W. E. Dewey Smith Jr. And he's the pastor of the Greater Travelers Rest Baptist Church in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, he's a, becoming a prominent uh, preacher. He's always been a good preacher and a good acquaintance. And acquaintance. Uh, I've, I've heard him and seen him and I, the, the brother could preach um, 
But recently, um, he he's come under some scrutiny, and it's been interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, um, uh, this this sermon that was was a sermon clip. It's a four minute clip. I'm, I'm gonna play the clip in a minute. Uh, but the clip basically has gone viral, and it's <laughs> it's quite interesting because um the way it the way it's been used and has floated around the internet uh we have opponents and proponents both using this clip as a means of uh propaganda in so many words so i'm gonna play the clip it's about uh almost five minutes long and uh i want you to hear the entirety of the clip and then i'm come back and give some commentary i've already got some um some feedback from the clip from my Facebook page, so I'm gonna share some of that, uh, some of the discussion from the Facebook page, and it's a little bit of my insight. And then, um, hopefully, we won't spend too much time on this because I really want to get into this uh, double consciousness, uh, this idea of black double consciousness and Black Lives Matter. So let me play this clip, and and I'll give my commentary. And God said to me, "Here's the problem: you guys in the church can be so hypocritical." He said, in the African-American church, you really got to be careful. I said, what do you mean? He said, because you are guilty of condemning the Supreme Court system and preaching against something. But if you look at half of our choirs, and a great number of our artists that we call abominations, that we call demons, we demonize and dehumanize, the same people that we use and we don't say nothing about the gay choir director because he's good for business. As long as the choir sounds good, I ain't saying nothing about his sexuality. We have done what the slave master did to us, dehumanize us, uh, degrade us, demonize us, but then use them for our advantage. It's hypocritical to talk about the Supreme Court and calling them Sodom and Gomorrah, which is not what it's all about. But if that's the case, half our churches have been Sodom and Gomorrah for a hundred years. He told me, boy, you got to re-examine yourself. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, on one hand, you quote homosexuality is an abomination from Leviticus. But you say that right after you ate some shrimp, some catfish, and some lobster. You quote Leviticus while you're wearing a wool blend suit. It's also in Leviticus that you shouldn't wear mixed linens. It's in Leviticus that if your wife is on her cycle, that you shouldn't go in the same house with her or even sleep on the same bed with her. That's the Leviticus too. Here's my point. We pick and choose the scriptures that we want to use to beat folk up with rather than look at our own lives. Let me tell you something. If God wanted to judge America, he wouldn't need the Supreme Court system. 
If he wanted to judge America because of sin, he would judge me in 88 at the Freaknik in Atlanta. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I'm going to preach Christ to you. Because you can't evangelize and antagonize at the same time. You cannot insult and inspire the same people that you insult. I thank God that Jesus went to Samaria with a woman who had some sexual identity problems and didn't preach condemnation. He just preached Christ. And our greatest missionary opportunity is going to be finding those who may be struggling to say, I'm not better than you, but the same grace that saved me, the same blood that let me come is the same blood that you're going to need. What are we going to do about the people who've been born this way? Who've been struggling with something? What about the people that we think are nasty? All right, so that, that's the gist of it. I'm not going to play the uh, whole clip, because uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And um, he did respond. Um, uh, Pastor Dewey did respond. He um he he gave he gave uh, a reply a couple of days ago, and and this is his words. He said um, uh, he has no idea why his four minute sermon clip was posted and became viral without context of his approval. He says that he doesn't know why those brief words have caused several saints to hate and even wish death upon him. He said he never understand why someone would condemn. Without context, without getting context, and he also goes on to say that those with causes both negative and positive have used the clip for their purposes. But in spite of it all, he's comforted by the fact that God uh, and those who have actually heard the entire message, and I did hear the entire message. You can um, there, there, there's an entire, there's a clip with the entire um, sermon. Uh, you you find that on YouTube, also. But the entire message. Uh, know that his message was simple. It was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, but but um, what what is interesting is is again he 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 pointed out things that occur in the black church. You know, we black church is notorious for having gay musicians, gay choir director, gay members in the choir. Uh, and I've been a part of choirs that, you know, I was the only straight guy in the choir. Really, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Um, and that black preachers put up with it because, as he says, it's good for business. You know, they draw crowds, and, and it's true. They they draw crowds. Um, yeah, some of the most flamboyant gospel choir directors, you know, <laughs> they pack the house because folks want to see what they're going to do. Uh, and gospel artists are notorious. There, there. Matter of fact, you know there was one who had a sex tape leaked of him doing oral sex, and this guy was a rising star in the gospel's music industry. And you know, I haven't heard from him since, of course. And then, of course, there is uh the former the gospel artist formerly known as Tone, 
who uh, now is called Beast Slade or whatever it is he goes by now. But um, you know, he was all but shunned from the gospel community uh, because he came out as being first bisexual and then all and then he outright said gay. But the way he came out was through a <laughs> a a video. He didn't come out, you know. He was pastoring his father's church, and uh, apparently, the 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 burden of that church, you know, and his wrestling with his sexual identity, caused him to release a a a music video, a music song, a song that was very very graphic. And I heard it. And when I heard it, I was like, "Oh wow, this dude just went, you know, he went bonkers. He he let it all out." And by doing that. You know, he was shunned by the gospel music industry. And recently, just recently in the concert, uh, John P. Key invited him to sing with him. And that cult, you know, that got slack on John P. Key, but just for, you know, bringing him in to sing. So it's it's always been there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote my dad texted me something, and, and I hope he doesn't mind what I say, you know, me reading part of this. I'm not going to read all of the text, but. Part of what my dad contends, and my my you know my dad is a good old Baptist preacher, trained and seminary trained and all that. But uh, what he says is that uh, what he he understood it to be a mixing of the Levitical law with with grace, and it doesn't match. Um, um said um, Homosexual activity is an abomination of God whether committed under Levitical law or under Christian grace. And so that that's how my my dad perceives it. I um I I I wrestle with that because, you know, being a therapist and going through the council, I understand that, you know, from a perspective of sin being sin, you know, all sexual immorality, be it fornication, adultery, and I'm guilty of all of it, itself for homosexuality. I I I I place myself in that in that same sense of guilt and shame when it comes to wanting to deal with the uh, homosexuality. But the reality is, what I see Pastor Dewey Smith's doing is just calling out what we don't want to call out, and that's the fact that we can't be double standard. We can't have this double standard and uh, and say you know gay is an abomination and yet allow you know in the same the same way. Um, try to use them to make our ministry better. I think that's how I come across. You know, that's how I took it. And maybe it's a little different for you. I I don't know. Uh, but I love to hear. I love to hear your thoughts about that. But and um, and and again, within the whole context, especially in the latter part of the uh, the last few minutes of the clip, where he talks about what about those who are born this, that way, or what are those. We consider nasty, and, and when you listen to the entirety of the sermon, he's talking about those who are uh, hermaphrodites, those who are born uh, with the uh, two separate uh, sexual organs. And you know that does happen. And then there are those who are asexual; they're born asexual with no sexual organs, <laughs> and they have to choose which one they want to be. Uh, you know, they may have a male name. They may give it be given a male name because their mama wants them to be a boy, but they prefer to be a a female because again, they technically they are agender. They have no no distinct gender. They have no distinct sexual 
uh, trait, so they can pick and choose whichever they want. And there are those. It's not as rare as you want, you know. It's not as rare as we'd like to believe it to be. So uh, that is that. And uh, all I can say is, we just as pastors, we need to be aware first of all, not to have a double standard, uh, not to promote something that we're not willing to put on ourselves. And then we also need to be transparent. If we're not willing to be transparent, then we don't need to be talking about it, plain and simple. And if we're going to talk about it, we must also, as as he stated, you know, we must be inclusive. It has to be, uh, again, as I always say, it must be empowering. And we got to, uh, again, I, I said this because as the African Methodist Episcopal Church and the United Methodist Church, we're going through an interesting, interesting dilemma right now with one of our clergy who uh, was outed because he was forced out of his church because of his uh, sexual orientation. Uh, and he was he was supplying a United Methodist Church, but he had credentials with the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And we're a full communion. We can go back and forth. You know, I could go to the UMC and UMC can come to the AME. We're full communion with each other so we can share like that. But the issue is now how we're going to deal with it. Now we know. Now that we know we got gay pastors, we have gay pastors pastoring churches, and in this case, churches thriving. What are we going to do about it? And we'll have to address that at our general conference next year, and it's going to be interesting how that happens. So it is what it is. All right. Again, thank you for joining me. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm going to take a quick break, and uh, when I come back from this break, we will uh, get into this last thing and and try to uh, try to carry this thing on out. You know, we're talking about uh, this idea of double conscious, double consciousness, and Black Lives Matter movement. So we'll be back right after this. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. It's our favorite. Yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere. Ever. Because that wonderful, bouncy, roll-around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. I need you. I feel so alone. But you're not alone. I knew you'd come. Like I could stay away. You know I can't do this without you. You'll never have to. You're always there for me. I'll get you a rental car. Don't use an umbrella. Fall in love with Progressive Claim Service. Friends, there's nothing as soothing as having a sweet aroma penetrate all of your senses. Peacock 
the newest candle fragrance by Heatcentric is that aroma. Peacock is a vegan hand-poured candle that fills the room with a soothing aroma that everyone is guaranteed to enjoy. Peacock by Heatcentric is the fragrance developed by Lady Jocelyn Sanders that's designed to reflect the glory in everyday life. I guarantee you will not disappoint when you order your candle today from Heatcentric. I have one at home and in my office, and I tell you, it's so good. It helps me relax at home, and it helps me concentrate and stay on task in the office. You need to order yours today by visiting LadySanders.com, and while they also pick up a copy of her book, The Encounter, I'm telling you, you will love both. Peacock by Heatcentric, reflecting the glory in everyday life. bottom of the hour here and uh this last segment and uh this is the one i really want to talk about in light of all that's been going on with uh, these this black lives matter movement and they recently had a conference or then a rally uh conference um not long ago promoting this idea but it in light of the you know these 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 deaths and uh, police uh, custody. You know, recently Sandra Bland, and and, and I'm, let me preface this by saying that I try to be objective when I hear stories of such. Um, there have been several stories, and and you know, again, the, they're making the rounds in media because it's a hot topic right now. It's trending. The 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 any story involving any kind of police. Uh, uh, sense of police brutality is is trending. It's it's hot. It's the latest craze. It's just like uh, a few years ago when shark attacks was the craze. You know, <laughs> they were reporting on shark attacks every it seemed like every week in major news outlets, mainstream media, and this seems to be the case now. Now, now here's the thing. Um, it's not as if this is something new. Most times. When there is tragedy at the hands of a police officer, be it um, be it intentional, you know, where the cop had to kill someone, had to shoot to kill someone, or be it unintentional, as in the case of most of these arrests, most of these incidents, these were unintentional um, deaths. The police was not trying to kill, or uh, no, those some would try to propagate uh, that they were. And what is very obvious in most of these cases that uh, most of the officers did overstep their authority bounds, you know, authoritative bounds. They they, they were trying to flex their muscles, as their muscles, as in the case with Sandy Bland, 
and Tamir Rice uh, uh, and uh, Eric Garner. Definitely, you know, those were cops that just, you know, they're, they're adrenaline, they got into the adrenaline rush for whatever reason. And with the case of Sandy Bland, uh, what is what is very clear is that the officer continued to heighten. Yes, Sandy Sandy Bland was um, was in bit protest mode. Yes, I can I can understand that. Um, though we cannot discount her role in the escalation because she did she did contribute to it. You know she you know she could have. And I'm not trying to shift blame to the um, away from the victim. No, or put blame on the victim. As some have done, you know, commentators. Uh, I, it was very, very sad when I saw this one commentator from Fox say that, well, what if she would have used, you know, she could have used the, the cigarette as an incident, you know, as as a uh, as a weapon. And I, that's ridiculous. Now, I, I understand you got your talking points, but that come on now, let's be real. But um, W.E.B. Du Bois in his book Soul of Black Folk introduced this concept of double consciousness. Um, and I, I'm sure just about everybody read the souls of black folk because you know, I know when I was in school it was mandatory reading. Um, but most probably, most of us probably never fully grasped this idea of double consciousness that he promoted in that book. Uh, it's a philosophy. is uh, It's an idea that I am revisiting because I see it more. More established today than ever before, especially now that we could, we're supposed to be in a post-racial America. So let me explain what uh, double consciousness is. Double consciousness, according to W.E.B. Du Bois, is the idea that uh, describes the individual's sensation of feeling as though your identity is divided, okay, uh, making it difficult for you to really assimilate into the majority culture. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm just kind of summarizing it. So, uh, basically, it's the idea that blacks suffer from so much uh, damaged self-image, so much, uh, I, 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 the way we see ourselves has been damaged so much that we cannot find how to be both black and American. We don't fit in. We, we're still wrestling to try to find our place in this world. Okay. Now, while we have pockets of success in the mainstream, uh, you know, the, the reality is that most white folk view black men in particular as thugs, rappers, or athletes. Okay, so it, it's still, you know, I still get looks when they find out that you know, you know, I'm a doctoral student. They look at me like, "Are you from Africa?" Like, no. I'm from the hood in Monroe, Louisiana. Booker T. Booker T. <laughs> or for those who from South Jackson or wherever you are, you know, those who are not in that image. It it kind of scares them because they don't know how to they don't know how to interact with us. I'll never forget when I was in graduate school. I had this one white lady. We were when I was in graduate school at the University of Louis Arkansas at Little Rock. And I had it also I, I did go to grad school at University of Louisiana Lafayette. But um at the University of Louisiana, Oh Lord. At the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, 
I was majoring. It was my first attempt at graduate school. I was in a liberal studies degree, uh, Master of Arts, liberal studies. And in my compositional theory class, I never forget um, compositional theory. Had this white lady. She already had a PhD, and she was just taking another. You know, she was getting another graduate degree just because she could. We were in this class, compositional theory, and um, um, you know, I'm the only black in this whole department. I'm the only black in the whole department in uh, in this program, right? And so, as I'm in the class. You know, I'm sharing my insights and whatever, and the instructor and all the everybody in the class was white except for me, and they were all just awed at what I was saying and the input I was providing into into you know the conversation and, and the topic. And when they, you know, we were writing, and my the way I wrote was, you know, it was thought provoking. And this woman comes to me after and during the class break, I never forget it. During the class break, and she comes up to me, and she said, you intimidate me. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? She's like, I've never come across a black man like you before. I said, I don't know, I don't know where you've been, but I know plenty. <laughs> there are plenty more like me. Again, that is the idea. Most black folk, and I, I got a picture on this, you know, most black folk, when they put on their glasses, it's a picture, you know, white vision. And the white vision shows a young man with a cell phone. But when you look the white vision, the cell phone looks like a gun and, and drinking a, a soda. But when you look through white vision, it's a 40. And it's rather unfortunate that a majority of black, of black men are perceived as that. And black women are perceived as something, uh, I, you know, it's even worse. And it falls back on this identity conflict, this idea of double consciousness, where we've been, since we've been liberated as slaves, we've been trying to cultivate our own identity as a people and emaciate ourselves into the culture of America. And... We thought we had accomplished that when we elected Barack Obama as president. When I say we, not the black folk, because a lot of black folk didn't vote for him. And even if the majority, I think about 98% voted for him in 2009, largely, largely because he was black. Not because of his policies, because most of them probably didn't even know. I didn't vote for him because of his policies. I, I, I admired the fact that he had gotten that presidential nod. I was proud of the fact that he had gotten that far. I, you know, I, I, I know he ran a better campaign than McCain because McCain, that's a whole different story. Anyway, that first term that he got elected, every black person was proud, even if we didn't vote for him. We were proud of the fact that look what happened. This proved that we could do it as a country. Yet here it is six and a half years later. Uh, and we see not only have we not progressed, but we've actually regressed because of some. It's like the uncovering uh, and, and uncovering happened, where all of a sudden, since he's been in office, and and yes, this is true. Since he's been in office, you've had some of the worst tragedies against African Americans since he's been in office. At least that's been revealed. Maybe 
They've happened and, you know, they were kept swept under the rug and only reported by black media like Jet and Ebony, you know. But now <laughs> it's true. But now these mainstream uh, news networks are reporting it and uncovering it. And it seems to be ripping at the very seam of our identity because now we're trying to now we have to say it, it's gotten so bad to the point that even when one per, one candidate. Oh, O'Malley, he's a candidate for president, Democratic candidate for president. He said all lives matter and got booed for saying all lives matter because according to the crowd, only black lives matter. So this idea, this idea is that uh, we, we, we're still trying to find a sense of identity. Our consciousness has not become one, a single mind consciousness within the confines of uh, our country. Now, here's the other thing. Um, most of what is driving this is the Black Lives Matter movement. Why is this Why is this, Why is is this? this driving it? It's driving it for two reasons. One, the idea that young black men are dying at the hands of white men, oppressors. Okay? And, and, and I come up with this idea. Well, not, I didn't come up with this, but I, I borrowed from excuse me, uh, several authors. When um, one author, uh, let me find. Um, there's a book, uh, Black at the Black Atlantic: Modernity and Double Consciousness. Uh, that book is available. You can go to Google and go to Amazon. You can find it. Uh, it's by uh, Paul Gilroy. So I borrow, uh, you know. Aside from W.E.B. Du Bois' Soul of Black Folks, I also use this as a reference. And also, uh, from an existential perspective, I brought in some Paul Tillich. And I, <laughs> because I want to see this thing holistically. You know, I want I want you to have to understand this holistically. But uh, Gilroy, in his book, uh, Modernity and Double Consciousness, uh, uh, Black Atlantic, Modernity and, and Double Consciousness, uses this phrase – that I really, really agree with, and that is the idea of imaginative proximity. Imaginative proximity, and what that basically means is that we we because of incidents like Sandra Bland, uh, Tamir Rice, um, who else? I you know we can go on and on. Because of that. We have this idea when we're engaging with law enforcement, the idea of uh, imaginative proximity is that it could be me, my brother, my sister, my friend. It could be somebody. It could be me that it happened to. And how would I react? You know, how would I engage myself? And, uh, or better yet, how would people react if it happened to me? And so now when it, it heightens the anxiety whenever we come in contact with law enforcement. And, you know, like any black kid, when I grew up, when I saw the police, I got scared because the assumption was the police was looking for you. And even if you didn't do anything, they still were going to. And I had this experience when I was in high school. I never forget. I was walking home. I had my trombo case, my back, backpack, and I was walking home, and a cop stopped me. I had on my blue and white Nike jumpsuit. I was flying back in the day, you know. And the cop stopped me and told me, said, you know, you know, fresh me and said, you know, what do you have in your backpack? Went through my backpack, saw it was none but books. What's in the case? 
opened the case, saw it was nothing but a trombone. Then had the nerve to say, well, we just stopped you because you look like a suspect in a robbery. And I looked at him, I said, and I'm serious. I said, do I look like, look, I had these thick glasses. I still got thick glasses. I got thick glasses, a trombone case, and a backpack. How in the world do I look like a suspect? And I never forgot. I have never forgotten that event to this day. But think about how heightened the anxiety is now. When now, because of all the incidents between uh, a boutique police uh, lives being lost while in police custody, the heightened anxiety that has caused. The Black Lives Matter movement now becomes symbolic of something greater. And and this is where Paul Tillich I draw from. Uh, when it comes to the idea of the symbol, now Black Lives Matter is both a symbol and a movement. It's a symbol in that it's pointing to something greater than it says, you know, by, than itself. Uh, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, supposedly it's all inclusive of, you know, black on black crime and white on black crime, you know, all of that. In 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 an unjust criminal system, but the thing Paul Tillich pulls out about symbolism and the the use of symbols is that one symbols they can't be invented. Okay, uh, you cannot and you can't make them intentionally. Okay, uh, it has to be it has to grow out of a collective consciousness. Or unconscious, put it this way. This is what he says. They grow out of the individual or collective unconscious and cannot function without being accepted by the unconscious dimension of our being. Symbols uh, which are having a special social function as political and religious symbols are created or at least accepted by the collective unconscious of the group in which they appear. That's deep. So what we have with the Black Lives Matter movement is this this symbol of double consciousness the black lives movement is actually the representation of the unconscious awareness that we are still struggling to find our identity in america because if we had even though we have black persons who are in the highest levels of government we have loretta lynch as a the AG, we have Barack Obama as the secretary, as the president of the United States. We had Colin Powell and uh, 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 what's her name, Rice, as the secretary of state. Uh, you know, we had all of these. We have prominent black pastors. We have an entire black caucus in Congress. Heck, we have two black senators <laughs> out of a hundred. We have two black senators, and that's more than has been. Since Reconstruction. And in light of all of this, we are still wrestling with this this sense of belonging. The people in the hood are still trying to find, you know, their role in the in the world. And they're having a sense, a hard time grappling what they're supposed to be doing. I remember when I was growing up. Once you graduated from high school, you had one or two options. You were going to go to college. No, one or three options. You're going to go to college. You're going to get you a good job. 
or the skill, you know, a, a skilled job, or you're going to go to the military. Those were your options. Unless you went to prison or got killed or died. Other than that, your responsibility was to find a skilled job, you know, in the labor, you know, at that time, you you know, you, we had a paper mill. You could go to, you know, get a job at the paper mill, make good money. Or auto mechanic, make good money. Or carpentry or electrician, a journeyman, you know, make good money. Or you go to college. Those were your options. On the military, you know, when you meant to, went to the military, you knew you were getting away from home. So that, well, that would change your life to begin with. But this sense of disenfranchisement is still very, very much present. Especially when I ride through, you know, I go back home to Louisiana and I ride through the neighborhood and I see the plight of my people um, as more and more of the lower income neighborhoods are going work. They're getting worse. And even here in the city of Jackson, you know, when you're special on the south end of Jackson, you, you're finding crime rate the highest in the place where there's greater disparity among resources. Where there's the greater disparity of resources, there's the greatest crime, even in the schools. Uh, black children are underperforming in the school system. And they're throwing money and more money to public schools, and the public schools are not improving. Most of them are not improving, and they don't want – the very people who are trying to help the schools don't want charter schools, vouchers, or any of that because it would actually help. But, you know, their 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 argument is, you know, it's taking them tax dollars. Well, big stores like Walmart take your tax dollars, and you still go to them. Anyway, that's, that's a – but the idea – that this Black Lives Movement is now becoming prominent in the eye and the mind of American consciousness is only because the reality is black still suffer from this sense of double consciousness. Still wrestling with trying to find where they belong because Within the last 50 years, most black men have found their, they can only make it as, a, as an athlete or a musician. And it's even sadder because now you have scouts for colleges, major colleges, scouting kids as young as nine years old who display a sense of elevated talent with the hopes of being able to capture the skills of this kid and put him in, you know, in sync to go to their school and play for their team. They're doing that as young as elementary school now. Well, there's a video that I saw on YouTube and Facebook. Little kid. Bad basketball player. I mean, bad skills. Bad, bad skills. And if they're scouting him now, imagine what they're going to do to him as a high school student, junior high school student, high school student. The same thing they did with LeBron James. LeBron was scouted as a kid. They were going to make sure that he made it to the big leagues. 
because of his talent. But the reality is most of those guys don't make it to the NBA. Even if even if they are on college championship teams, there's still no guarantee that they'll be drafted. And even if they are drafted, they might not make a big, you know, big the big money. There's one player, and this is kind of off a tangent, but you know, say he can't live on six point nine million dollars a year. <laughs> you got a family to feed, you making six million dollars, boy, please. Anyway, the idea that we are still finding it hard and difficult to, to have an identity in the majority of the white world is pressing. So what's the solution? What can we do? That's a good question. What can we do? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Part of me says we need to just go back, go backwards. You know, We need to go back to our self-reliance, the idea of self-reliance. We do for ourselves. Think about Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and many other places, Harlem, New York. Think about those places where we were self-reliant. I think about Mound Bayou, Mississippi, the all-black town. I mean, and, you know, I think about places like that. I think about things like that. When we took care of ourselves, even when we were granted land grants to start schools, public colleges, we did it. We supported it. The churches supported it. We formed movements that empowered. And I'm not talking about things like the NAACP because, you know, there were only a few blacks that were really involved in the founding of that organization. That was largely founded by white folk. And their cause right now is more liberal than anything. That going back to this sense that we do better for us than anybody else can do for us, but that again, that's a that's that's a community thing, and we lost that community. We've lost that sense of trust within community. We've lost that sense of trust within community, both in you know political, educational, spiritual. We've lost that sense of trust. We can't trust each other to work together. We're all trying to get our own thing, and. And no matter how much that we would care, don't care to admit it, the reality is we have been doing more harm to ourselves since we've been free. And when I speak free, I'm talking about within the last 50 years of legislation that has esteemed us as free. We've done more harm to ourselves politically, educationally, socially, spiritually than we could, than a white man could ever do. So the responsibility falls on us to find this, to, to rid ourselves of this idea of double conscious. We, 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 the only reason we really have it is because we stopped focusing on what really matters. And now the cry is black lives matter, but that the reality is we don't know what black lives is. We don't know what black lives is because we have tarnished our own our own self-value. We've tarnished it. And now what is identified as black means being ghetto. That's how folks think. That's how young blacks think that the only way I'm I'm black if I talk black, which means I'm going I'm going to talk as ghetto as I know how. 
if I dress black, that means pants going to be sagging for black men and girls. They're going to be wearing anything but what they should be wearing. They're going to be twerking. And they got to have the nice behind and the nice breasts and be able to work it on the stripper pole. <laughs> that's that's what identity is to the greater culture. What was introduced through hip hop, uh, you know, and, and, and again, this is, I, I, I've always said this and I stand by this. I can't stand when a person of another culture uses our dialect, try to talk like us try to dress I can't stand it. I understand the conglomerate I understand how much of 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 the influence hip hop has been over the last two and a half decades. I do understand that. <laughs> but it's one thing when that is the only thing that you can identify as black. For example, when this Rachel Dawson, whatever her name, when she was in you know, she she had she had been faking being black for all these years. And when she gave an exclusive, I, you know, exclusive interview, the question was posed to her: Do you see yourself as black? She said, "As African American." She said, "No, I see myself as black. I identify as black, not African American. But you call everybody else African American, but you identify as black. Why? Because the cultural things, you know, that's what you identify as. That's as black. So blacks can only be what is culturally relevant at the moment." We cannot be the intellectuals like W.E.B. Du Bois. We cannot be the, the scientists like George Washington Carver. We can't even be the social orators like Martin Luther King Jr. We can't be that because that ain't black anymore. That's the old folk black, the new black. <laughs> and even even this tell this uh that the Netflix show Orange is the new black. That is offensive to me. Folk like it. Black folk like it. I, I take offense to it, but that's just me. So, how do we alleviate this idea of double consciousness? First, again, we must we must go back to this the the sense of self reliance. We must take care of our own. I ain't talking about going black back to Africa. They don't want us over there. But in the communities where we are in the ghettos where we are, in the hood where we are, developing it so that those who are in our communities are empowered. Support black businesses. I try to do it as much as I can. I know they get high and they try to get over us, but still, I'd rather give my dollar to a black business than anything else. And I know that sounds mean, and I know it's very much incorrect politically. I don't care. But you don't see Asians, (laughs) you know, they don't come to a black nail market to get their nails done. They feet done. They don't go to a black place. How often do you see Asians going to a, a rib joint? <laughs> I'm just saying. But again, and and then lastly, you know, we must maintain the cultural relevance outside of what the the mainstream says is culturally relevant for us. Maintain a cultural relevance outside of what the mainstream says is culturally relevant for us. We don't need them telling us what's culturally relevant. Kanye is good, but that's not necessarily culturally relevant for us. We need to construct an identity that is empowering, 
without damaging the construct of how we got there. In other words, we don't just need to make stuff up. We ain't got to reinvent the wheel. We already know what we did. We already know we have overcome and we will overcome. But taking that and building on that as a community and creating an identity, you know, that says that we are this and we're proud and we don't need any white folk to tell us or affirm us. You can help us, but we really don't need your help. Please stop helping us. I, I got a book uh, was, uh, that was written by a brother that says, please stop helping us. I neither here nor there. I'm running out of time. I got to get out of here, and I appreciate you for listening. Uh, thank you for all the sharing. We'll be back as Lord wills next week with another inviting topic, interesting topic and discussion. But until then, I got to get up out of here. Hope you have a great day. And uh, next time I talk to you, the Lord will be in August. <laughs> seven, seven, seven. Uh, anyway, let me get out of here, and you have a great day. Until next week, make sure you go to uh, the. Go to uh, Zero Network on Facebook, join that page, like this page, and go to our uh, LorenzoTNeo.com. Go to Zero Today on uh, Blog Talk Radio, subscribe to the show, and you can hear all of that. But until then, we got to get out of here. Take care. God bless you.